Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight this morning, Lord. Thank you for leading us to your throne. Thank you for the ways that you show us your great love and care. May we hear that now as we open your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Stories with a twist. Have you ever watched a long and involved movie thinking you have it figured out only to get to the end with a surprise ending right within the last couple of seconds and the credits roll and you go, no. Or have you ever watched an entire TV series and found out it was just somebody's dream? Has this happened to you with a good book? Now I know some people who read the end of a book regularly because they don't want any surprises they just kind of want to know the whole story and where it's going. And I just saw a few of you look at each other, so I know that happens out there. <laughs> well, on this third Sunday of Lent, we are continuing our series on Isaiah, Holding Out Hope. And we're going to be studying a passage today with a twist that sadly is surprising and sadly not surprising. And so today we're going to read this a section at a time rather than read the whole scripture we're going to read section at a time and so uh, you could open your bibles and keep them there if you would like or i will also have this on the screen too but we are going to look at isaiah chapter 5 and we're going to start with verse 1 here in a moment first of all i want to break this down as to where we're going this morning vineyard built rotten result vineyard destroyed and clear moment. Chapter 5 of Isaiah 1 to 2 says, I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones and planted it with choice wine, vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes. Vineyard built. Now, Isaiah, actually in the beginning of this, is breaking into song. And I had high ambitions earlier in the week that I was going to pull out my guitar and actually sing this <laughs> to whatever tune I came up with, but that didn't happen. But I want you to imagine a, a sprightly, rhythmic, movement Isaiah you know so often we want to put biblical characters are always serious and they're and they're standing there in bathrobes and long beards and all those stereotypical things that we have but Isaiah is actually singing with great rhythm here he's he's sucking us in uh, and he's talking about life but what starts out as a love song turns into an indictment. And you've heard Pastor Colleen use that word already. There's a lot of indictments in the book of Isaiah. And perhaps it was intended to trap the listeners. And I think of the story of Nathan and David. Remember the story when King David had sinned, Bathsheba, that whole situation. And Nathan is telling a story. And then he closes by saying, and David, you are that man. 
I felt that way as I read this. It was either that or I felt like I was in the middle of a Taylor Swift song where the relationship gone bad. I'm going to go with the former. But it functions as a parable. And it actually has the ingredients of, of mashal, which is a, in wisdom literature, uh, a contrast, a definition given in two parallel lines. And in uh, Proverbs 10.8, here's a good example. The wise of heart will heed commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This story feels like that. There's the opening line, here's what could be good, and here's what didn't work out so well. And so we see the word but a couple of times in this passage, and those are, those are significant. It shows the tension of the contrast of what will be and what is. And Isaiah uses the word beloved, you might have noticed in that passage, as one who knows the owner very closely and intimately. And in fact, a better Hebrew translation of that might be, let me sing on behalf of my friend, my friend's song about his vineyard. Well, for us to really understand this passage and this opening part especially, it's important that we understand what goes in to making a good vineyard. One of my favorite books, if I could only keep 10 books on my shelf, this would be one of them, Scouting the Divine by Margaret Feinberg. Uh, in looking, as She goes and spends time with a beekeeper. She spends time with a shepherd. She spends time with a vintner. And it brings so much depth to this passage when I went to read this again about what she learned in Napa Valley from a vintner. Here are a few things. One... It always begins with preparing the land. I already heard a couple of songs this day that our worship team put together that had the word working the ground, preparing the soil. And as a part of that, people who work in vineyards remove all the rocks. They find the trees with underlying root systems and get those out of there. They prepare the soil. They even add nutrients. Then a dormant shoot or a young growth from a nursery is planted. And at the end of the year, it's pruned down to two buds. And in that statement, as she was talking about preparing the vineyard, she said, there's something that happens where the farmer is always concerned and always worrying about each step of this process. I thought that'll preach right there. We could stop right there and talk about that kind of care. But during the second year, the vines are especially micromanaged. They're pruned to grow in a way that will establish a healthy base for decades to come. And then in the third year, the vine is permitted to reach all the way up to the trellises and produce a modest amount of fruit. Each year after, the vine is carefully sculptured and pruned. And we know that without care, the vine will create abundant fruit but it will have little meaningful flavor. Have you ever had that disappointing moment when you bit into a beautiful piece of fruit and it just was flat? Well, when does the vintner finally get to taste wine? Well, year four, there's a small fruit harvest. It's fermented, it's aged in a barrel for two years before being bottled. First planting to first bottle, eight years eight years, and neglected vineyards take years 
to restore. Another whole sermon in itself. In addition to going to the book Scouting the Divine, I interviewed a vintner in southern Monterey County. He's the related, he's the father of an Episcopal priest I know in Napa Valley, and I thought, I want to talk to a live person. And he has two daughters who are Episcopal priests, so he gets a lot of scripture in his life, whether he wants it or not. And I said, hey, this is what I've read. This is what I've checked out. And he further affirmed the importance of planting on good hills. You'll notice in this picture, it's on hills for drainage, for sunlight, and less chance of frost. He talked at length about the care a good vineyard needs. And this man loves to care for vineyards. He's in his mid-70s. He's still out there caring for vineyards. He lovingly connects with caring. He's doing what he loves. God does what he loves. God cares for us. Now, back to Margaret Feinberg when she says, in a vineyard, and she talked to her vintner, who his name was Christoph. That sounds like such a vintner name. In a vineyard, people often have multiple roles. And the father probably isn't just the vine dresser. He's owner, manager, and vintner too. But of all the titles, Jesus gives his father the title of vine dresser, one who prunes and sculpts the vine. Whoever is pruning really is the master. And of course, Jesus confirms this when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as we read that earlier scripture, notice that the vineyard also include a watchtower. And I asked Bob Denny, the vintner up in southern Monterey County, what would that have been for? And he said, well, that was often used for protection against thieves and birds. And it also could have been a temporary place to actually sit and watch the fruit while it's ripening to get it at just the right moment. And then he went on to say, hey, you know, a wine vat, that's pretty extravagant. That's an extra that's in there. And I thought about how God's love is extravagant for us. The vineyard owner in this scripture, the way it is written, left nothing out. Everything is in there plus the premium package, the wine vat. Fruitfulness and security and safety go together. God is for us. He's trying to help us. He cares for us. The vineyard is built. But then we get to the last line of verse 2. But it yielded rotten grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? 
Well, this indeed is a rotten result. And rotten in the Hebrew is also translated wild, stinking, even poisonous. So the Lord speaks and he asks the audience for a verdict. Now, I had a lot of questions for Bob Denny when I called him on the phone last week and we talked about this and he says, but I have a question for you. He said, I'm reading this passage. You know, I'd send it to him ahead of time. This person did everything right. And I can't figure out how those could have come out rotten with every step that was listed there. And he had a few theories. It was kind of fun to hear. He was really getting into some stuff that was way over my head. He said, but I don't even see how that would work. And it was at that moment that God said to me, you're right, Bob. This is ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. And that's what the writer here is trying to tell us, that everything had been lined up. There is no way those should have been rotten, poisonous grapes. This was meant to not make sense. And his words reflect this. When it says again, what more was there for to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? Verse 4 really is the turning point in this parable because sin in us disrupts what makes sense. Sin in us disrupts what makes sense. This is the fall, everybody, right? Adam and Eve. So often I tell this story to our Cliff Drive children, and every time I'm just kind of amazed that really there's just one thing they didn't have to do. There's this big garden. Who knows how big it was? And I tell the children, there's only one tree of which they could not eat. And what happened? They did. Sin disrupts what makes sense. And this is a rotten result. And so we move on to verses 5 and 6. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It shall not be pruned or hoed. And it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. A vineyard destroyed. The consequences of our disobedience. Brian McLaren says evil disrupts the ark of the story God has prepared for us. Bob Denny also mentioned this hedge. He said that's often a windbreak. It's a fence. It's a shield. It can be a shield that protects and thanks to its many branches and leaves against fire, frost, heat, and even pests. It lets nothing pass. So for the writer here to say the hedge is going down, is huge. And in the process, interestingly enough, that hedge becomes a living space for birds. It grows, it thrives, but God promises that hedge will come down. And of course, the withholding of rain was well known then as a common curse for disobeying God's commands. The consequence of the rotten fruit, destruction. 
Now we know God's grace when we fail to care is still extended. So how do we reconcile God's destruction of the vineyard when it does not produce? And we know God created the world. God created us. He is the creator. We are the created. But we know that if we persist in not caring, operating out of our own pride, our choices will bring more and more destruction to the life God has so intensely cared for. The foundation of God's care in our life will be gone as we willfully turn our back on him. This, my friends, is why Jesus came to live among us, to die for those destructive choices and to show us beyond all sense that the vineyard can indeed be rebuilt. He can make beautiful things out of the dust. So let's move to our final verses. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his cherished garden. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. This is the clear moment when Isaiah says, here's the good part of the story. Here's where it went bad. This is you. And verse 7, scholars tell us, is written in Isaiah's own voice at that moment. This story is directed at Israel and Judea, and they are the vineyard. And God reminds them once more that he was happy to plant. One version of this, instead of saying cherished garden, it says pleasant planting. God was having fun building the vineyard, enjoying the care that he was putting into it, enjoying the care and the love that he puts in to us. His hope was justice and righteousness would be the fruit. But instead, in the message, it says he looked for a crop of justice and saw them murdering each other. He looked for a harvest of righteousness and heard only the moans of victims. And Isaiah was actually in this passage doing a play on words because the words justice and bloodshed sounded very much like each other. And righteousness and a cry sounded very much like each other. He was doing as many things as he could to get the attention of the people. This is a clear moment, and it's a harsh ending. And so I think that in this season of Lent, a time of lamenting our sin and failure to accept God's care, we should let this ending disequilibrate us, put us out of balance. And if we feel uncomfortable with this passage, then may God convict each of our hearts in the ways we ignore the extravagant love and care of God through Jesus Christ when we simply don't care. Only God knows the hearts of everyone here this morning, including mine. And so in this safe place, in this quiet, 
we can freely admit to God where we have not bothered to care for our relationship with him, our relationship with others, and ourselves. I want to invite you in the next few moments to have a posture of confession. The altar is open for you. If you would like to come and pray, or you could kneel in your pew, you could sit in your seat, bow your head. But I want us to take a few moments to let God speak to us, to each of us, and help us to identify Let's start with one way. We are not caring about what matters most to the God who cares for us. Let's take a couple of minutes of silence, posture of confession. Let the Lord speak to us. And then I have just a few more words after that. As I was studying this passage, I found the words to an old hymn that some of you may remember. It says, thy life was given for me. Thy blood, O Lord, was shed that I might ransom be and quicken from the dead. Thy life, thy life was given for me. What have I given for thee? And of course, we would never want to stay in just a posture of confession without asking for forgiveness. So let's take a moment and ask the Lord's forgiveness through the grace of God and accept that forgiveness and the grace of one who has created us and will continually bring a new creation in us as we trust our full care to our extravagantly loving God. Let's take a moment for forgiveness. Dr. John Oswald, in his commentary on this passage, said, we do not belong to ourselves. We are the workmanship of someone else. And I was thinking of the song again that we sang earlier, he's making new wine out of us. May we find our rest in this. Let's rest before the Lord. Let's put our trust in him. And know that his care is continued. We may not always recognize it, but he's caring for each of us. Let's care for the things of God.
and love him. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.